Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Momatrician, coming at y'all today on this beautiful Monday morning with none other than another unicorn. If you guys have been listening and been following my podcast, you know my unicorns are my black males. I just haven't had enough of them. We just don't find enough of them that want to talk at all about their situation. So when I get one, I'm so happy and so excited. But today's guest is actually special in the sense that he's not only a unicorn, he's also my first man child. He's my son. His name is Namdiolitahana, a.k.a. Papa. We all call him Papa. We've called him Papa since, I think, the day he was born. Um, the story to that is another day's podcast, but certainly... We are excited to have him today with us, and we're going to get started. So, Papa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for trying to write a page on our suicide pages. How are you doing, son? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Mom. All right. Awesome. So, what do you want to talk about today? How do you want us to start? Where do you want to start? Do you want to start from an experience? From, I mean, sometimes you were sad, depressed, bullied, suicidal, anything, nothing, your friends. What do you want to talk about? I guess the most relevant topic material for the podcast would be my experience in middle school, because that was the closest I ever came to, like, seriously considering suicide. Okay. So let us, just as a bit of background, Papa is currently a senior, a rising senior at Stanford. So he, this middle school was a long time ago. Okay. Just FYI, but this is good. We're going to start somewhere. So how do you want to go? How do you want to, you want to tell us a story? You want to tell us, you know, what, what happened? Sure. I can, I can just, I can, I can narrate like a story beginning in sixth grade, I think, uh, of just my experience with, uh, managing school and then also the troubles that came with existing as someone who at that time was not out um uh which meant that I currently did not identify or at that time I did not identify as gay because I was not ready to identify as that and so I was outed anyways I guess I'll just start in sixth you know grade. what even oh, before yes. even even before you go start telling us a story. Some of the listeners might want to know, and I don't know if you want to tell us this or not, but how early exactly was it? How old were you when you first 
kind of realized that you were gay and you were in the LGBT family. How young or how old were you? Do you remember? Can you share that? Yeah, so uh, of course, with everyone, it's different, completely different times. For me, I would say I was, I would say, well, even before I knew I was gay, I always questioned um, what gender and, and norms associated with genders meant for me. So of course, being a male um, in society, it is expected that you exhibit masculine traits and you generally exhibit those traits to, I guess, in a very reductive sense, attract women. And so I remember my first, in first grade, um, I would always go to the playground and I would play with the girls, but not only would I play with the girls, but I would like wear my sweater on my head to like be more like the girls. It was very, very funny. And it was like, actually kind of liberating. <laughs> yeah, but I would do that. And my teacher wouldn't say anything. She was pretty nice. I think I did that either first or second grade. Um, she was she was pretty chill about that. My second grade teacher, for sure, she was very, very supportive and like never, you know, chastised me for choosing to act that way on the playground. And also we probably need to mention that it was a Christian school in South Carolina, right? Yeah. So there was, was that challenge, school. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I had no idea what the implications of going to a Christian school meant for someone like me at seven years of age. But I just know at that time in first and second grade when I chose to wear my, wear my sweater on my head, my teachers and my friends were pretty supportive. Nobody really said anything about it. Um, they kind of just accepted me, which is really nice. Um, I guess fast forward to fifth grade. But you know one thing I was going to mention, it's also important that you, you said that. I almost want to ask you to say that again for those at the back. The fact that children at that age are pretty accepting and pretty innocent. And I say that a lot when I talk about bullying. The fact that almost all children are born weighing between six and eight pounds and they're innocent and then life happens to them. So it's important to the parents listening that even at the age of seven, he was still chill with his friends and they accepted him as he was, right? Yeah, very, is very accepting. I can't remember a single instance in first or second grade that I was um, uh, penalized in any way for, for adorning my sweater on my head on the playground. I think it was only on the playground that I chose to wear it um, because I was having fun with my friends and things. But I was, I mean, I would, I think I actually can say I was very well supported. It's not even like a, people didn't talk about it. It was like people were like fine with it. Yes. So, um, so was it because you wanted your hair to be like a girl's? And I'm just trying to, in I my head, something like that. Okay. I think that's what it was. I think, because I really, I mean, I, I won't say I only played with girls because I was friends with everyone. It was like a relatively small class, like 20 people per grade or, um, or if there were two classes, like 15 people per class, um, per grade. But I was basically friends with everyone. Um, my best friend was a guy, but I, for some reason, I guess I just chose to wear that. I remember, and, and I had one sweater that I really liked and then another sweater that I didn't really like so much because it was a little stiffer and I didn't want my hair to feel stiff for some reason. So I would always want to bring 
this other sweater to school because it kind of flowed better in the wind. It was very, very, uh, <laughs> what's the word, fantasy-like. Yes, and as a woman and as a girl and as a mom, I can just see that. And I remember that. And it was the, it was the blue sweater, the softer one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes, because yes, that was the one that you could wear over yeah. your head and the way you could button. And I remember those. I remember those. I remember the uniform is in my head right now. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. And so fast forward after elementary school, we're in middle school now? Still in, still in elementary school, fast forward okay. to fifth grade. Um, the first, like the smallest inklings I had of thinking, okay, I'm not necessarily the same as what I think society wants me to be or, or even what my friends are, uh, was fifth grade. And for some reason, I don't really even know how to explain it. It wasn't like a romantic feeling. It definitely wasn't a sexual feeling, but it was just some kind of like strong feeling or just slight impulse, not even really a strong feeling, just like the slightest impulse that I wanted to like, I don't know, be with this guy in my class. I didn't, I never of course voiced it or anything like that. Um, And I think, in many ways, I reacted by like, like voicing that I like had feelings for this other girl in my class, which I didn't have feelings for her. But I, I don't think I knew what to do with the feeling that I was feeling for this other guy. Mm-hmm. So in my head, I just thought, let me just like say this out loud. And I don't think the girl liked it at all because you were friends beforehand. Um, in fact, she was the first, or not the first, but of course it was South Carolina. It was a Christian school. So there are very few black kids in general. So I think it was me, one black guy, there was another black guy. He was the guy I had feelings for. And then there were in fifth grade, there were two black girls and one of them was new. And I think I was friends with her. And then I started feeling these feelings and I was like, well, let me just say, I really like her. And she like, (laughs) didn't really want to hear it. She was just like, no, you don't like me. She's like, you don't like me, but whatever. (laughs) And I was like, I love it. I love it. I don't know what else to say. So that was the first time I never told the guy or anything because it wasn't romantic. It wasn't sexual. It was just like a weird feeling that I knew didn't uh, as easily coincide with what society says I should be like. And of course, it was fifth grade. So there was really no talk of love or dating or sex or anything like that from the teacher's point of view. I can't really remember if people dated between my classmates. I want to say maybe they did, but either way, it wasn't like a big topic. So it wasn't, I didn't like feel left out or anything like that. It was just Mm -hmm. a feeling Mm -hmm. uh, that I knew that I was pretty sure no one else in the class was experiencing. Yes. So that was the first, those are the first two times in my memory that I can think I, you know, either challenged the norms. I think first and second grade, I was visibly challenging the norms, which is pretty political, um, even though I didn't mean for it to be that way. And then fifth grade, it was more of an internal struggle. Um, Yeah, it was more of an internal thing where I was questioning, like, what really am I, like, what am I in relationship to what society says I should be, Mm -hmm. Um, things like that. So it was never, I don't think I ever had a problem with being accepted for who I was until sixth grade. Interesting. And so to answer the question that I asked earlier on, will it be 11 or 12 then about that 
time that you kind of came into the realization that you are gay or was it before that? Well, it was very, very funny. I think there was one instance in early sixth grade that I remember I this thing happened and then right after that I was like, oh shoot. Um, and what it was, I, it was so, so in sixth grade, we had recess at our middle school, but we called it teen time because I guess we're middle schoolers, so they didn't want to call <laughs> I it. I remember recess. that. <laughs> but literally it was just after, we had four quarters of the day and I think sixth grade, it was in between the third and fourth quarter, or maybe it was the second and third quarter, I can't exactly remember, that we would have teen time. And we had three teams, like there were enough students that they were all divided into like teams. And so team time is basically you would like go out with like your group of people that was like in a team and you could like play with them and, and certain, in certain situations, like the different teams would like their times would coincide. Anyways, I think we were playing like a game of, of four square, which was this game where you like oh, goodness. the ball that. between four squares yes. and like get people out and you advance if you like win and all these different rules. Yes. And, um, I think, I don't remember what someone did, but I remember voicing out loud for the first time in my life. I said like, wow, that's really gay. Like in a pejorative sense. I'd never said it before, but I think I'd heard other middle schoolers say it. And I just decided, why don't I just say that too so I can fit in? And once I said that, like something in my body, like something in my whole being kind of just like shook. And I like felt something primordial and I thought, oh, shoot, I think I might be gay. For some reason, it was just that moment where I said that thing that I was like, that, I think I might be gay. Like, that just sits so wrongly with me, using that term as, like, an insult, that for some reason, maybe I'm gay or something like that. And there are other clues that I had after that that actually had to do with, like, seeing other guys and, like, feeling a certain way. But it was just that moment where I thought, like, that, like, literally hurt me to stay out loud. Mm. So, like, use that word as an insult. And so I remember just that feeling and thinking, oh, shoot, I might be gay. But I'm definitely, I, at that point, I definitely wasn't ready. Yeah. And that was about the age of 12, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. That. 11. 11. Okay. Very good. So, um, so fast forward from there. Are you ready to, to get into middle school now? And um, you said you had the, the closest feeling of being suicidal. Ever. Sure. That was already middle school. I mean, there are many anecdotes I could talk about about specific instances of being bullied. I'll just say um, one day in gym class, um, I went to sit with people that I regularly sit with and I was met with being outed. I had never told anybody that I was gay, but I suppose uh, my presentation, my voice, all these, and my mannerisms, I guess that was like enough for me to be clocked and unfortunately, the people that clocked me, okay, I guess I should explain that term. So clocking is a, is a verb um, generally used by the queer and trans community, queer and transgender community. And that means someone else can tell that you are either queer or gay or, or transgender, like different things. And so that's and the, the word is clock? Yes. yes. As in C-L-O-C-K, clock? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So long story short, I was outed one day. Um, I went to gym class and I was going to sit with the people I regularly sit with. And I was met with this one person telling me that they don't sit with gay people. 
Um, so at that time, I had never told anyone in the school that I was even considering or it, that I was even questioning or anything. I was just being myself. And it's kind of hard to explain how traumatic being outed is. Um, of course, being outed to a bunch of people who weren't necessarily your friends, but just people in gym class isn't the most traumatic experience. There are many people who are added to their families and that goes horribly wrong, but it still was very, very traumatic. And I still remember, I still remember the feelings of being ostracized after that. It's, um, good, it's good you mentioned that because I know people say, or one of the sayings is, I might forget what you said, I might forget what you did, but I will never forget how you made me feel. And so it makes sense that you've never forgotten the feeling. That yeah. feeling is there. So that's, that really authenticates that phrase. Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, again, I, there are many anecdotes that I could go into of specific bullying events of people just saying mean words, um, people pushing me. Um, but I think it's just mostly the feeling. And the worst thing is at that age, you have no conception of, um, sorry, you have no like concept of how vast and large the world is and how how small the portion of your life you've lived and how much you have left to live that you really think like this is the end all be all like this yes. is all I'll ever amount to like I had this idea in my head that everybody in my grade you know thought I was gay which I never I never I don't think I ever wished that I wasn't maybe I wish that I wasn't for like a day or so but after that I was like I guess I'm fine being gay. I just wish people wouldn't be mean about it. Yes. Um, like, I just really didn't understand why people were so mean. And I really hated them. I never, well, I won't say I didn't hate myself. I did hate myself. and But that also had to do a lot with, like, bad body image issues. But it wasn't ever that I was just like, I hate that I'm gay. Like, I... I don't think I ever harbored that feeling for too long. It was just, I really hate that these people are so mean to me and make me feel really ugly and gross. Um, and so, and, that and, is and I hate that. Going back to what you said early on, that's so powerful. The fact that at the age of 12, 11, 13, whatever, you're thinking this is the world. This is it. There's nothing outside of this. This is this little cocoon is all. And that is why we say to people who, to, you know, the younger minds who are not fully formed, and even the adult minds, this too shall pass. Of course, it's hard to see it. It's very, very hard to see it. And if you don't have supportive yeah. family members or friends, it is easy to succumb to that. If you just throw in a couple more episodes of bullying and ostracization, exactly. then you're just thinking, that's it, that's it, I'm, I'm going to check out. So that is important. So how did you, how did you cope then with, um, I know you said you have a lot of, anecdotes and you can share and you're welcome to share more if you want to but how did you end up coping with you know with all of that with all of that ostracization and people being mean to you because as your mother I don't know that I remember that at all I don't think I was I wasn't tuned into you going through that I know your parents had just gotten divorced and if you ask me I would have said is the divorce so technically no, it, it wasn't, wasn't the that. divorce it wasn't the divorce at all I mean I think it's relating to the divorce, that was maybe fourth grade. I mean, of course I would be sad whenever I had to meet dad and then I had to leave him, but I never blamed you or anything like that. I was just like, I think I was just sad life had to be that way. But 
middle school had already been two or so years. Like that wasn't something that really was on my mind unless I like saw dad and had to leave him. So it was really just these people at school making me feel really bad. And the way, well, so before I talk about how I cope with it, I'll say most of the bullying took place either on the bus, mm-hmm. at one, um, in my non-pre-AP, in my non, um, what was the word, AIG classes. Um, yes. So there were some classes that were academically intelligent, and the non-AIG classes were the science and social studies classes, and my bullies tended to be more in those classes. And then also, a lot of the bullying took place in the electives. So you could, in sixth grade, you could either choose to be in band, or you could choose to be in a cycle of electives. And I chose to be in a cycle of electives, even though, you know, I played band in fifth grade, I said I'd want to do in sixth grade. And so, so sixth grade was a very, very dark year for me. Seventh and seventh grade, I think, was the year I felt a little better and saw a light at the end of the tunnel because that was the year that I was getting more and more into flutes. I think I started flute lessons sixth grade, but seventh grade was the year that I also thought, like, I want to join band in eighth grade. So, like, I thought, like, I'm going to work really, really hard so I can join band in eighth grade. And if I can just join band, then I can escape a lot of the bullying that I'm experiencing in these classes. Yes. And then also it looked like my friends were having so much fun in band. They weren't really, but like, it just looked like they were. And so I just kept thinking like, if only I had chosen band, I wouldn't be experiencing these other than, instead I should have been thinking, you know, if only these people didn't have such internalized issues and weren't projecting it onto me, like I wouldn't be experiencing this. But of course I was blaming myself for not choosing Ben, which is like, makes no sense. But um, that makes a lot so. of sense what you just said. Now again, I, I know you're going through them very fast, but I have to s- slow down a little bit because I want the parents listening to hear the thoughts process in their child's mind. The fact that your mother is a pediatrician and was a pediatrician then and you didn't come to her. It is one of the things that I stress to parents that your kids might not come. Of course, eventually I found out about the bullying and all that, but only because your glasses were broken. I had no idea. But I want parents to know that you're not necessarily to blame if your kids don't come to you, but also I want you to hear the thought process in your child's mind. Now he's 21. He can go back and say, yeah, of course, I, if I had just known that these people are the ones that had the problem. Indeed, the bully goes on by the bully because the bully has problems. But then unfortunately, it is projected on the victim and the victim being who they are, the definition of a victim, you internalize it and you think the problem is yours. But really, it's the bully's problem. Isn't that what you're saying in essence? Exactly. Yes, exactly. So I want people to hear that your child, like my son just said now, is saying that you're not even thinking anything about it being their problem. You're thinking it's your problem. One, two, you're probably not telling your parent. Why did you not tell your parent? What, you as, a, as a, an individual, now not as my son, but why didn't you tell your parent, which turns out to be me? Why, why didn't you tell your parent at that time? Mm, I mean, um, let's see. I'm just going to say it never occurred to me. <laughs> and that, um, is, a, and that is a valid answer because a lot of pe- kids, it doesn't, you're not thinking, let me tell my mom who is over in Lancaster and she's going to do something about these two kids in this elective. You know, so I, I can see how that could have not crossed your mind. And again, I'm not trying to necessarily 
just tell the parents to just don't worry about it. The truth is sometimes your kid is not even thinking about the fact that they should tell you, right? Yeah, I think it was a combination of that and maybe in my head I thought if I told you and you like did something, it would make the bullying worse maybe. Like I know once the one of the main bullies or probably the main one, the main bully for me being gay, once he broke my glasses and I came home and told you, obviously, because I needed new glasses, and then, um, co- um, uh, what's the word, consequently, you know, got him removed from the school and sent to the other school. I forgot the name, whether they send kids who I think need um, rehabilitation of some sort. Um, after he was sent away, I vaguely remember sentiments from different other kids like blaming me for like getting their you know friend the cool guy kicked out or something like that and it wasn't big or anything like nobody else like started bullying me because of that because the bullying got substantially better to deal with once the main bully left but I do vaguely remember like thinking oh shoot like these people now are like blaming me like and I never regretted telling you because I was so so happy with the outcome but like maybe beforehand I thought like you know, I just don't want it to get worse because they did know where I lived and they did egg my house or egg our house. Um, so it wasn't like I felt like, oh, home was safe or anything like that. But I will say the majority of it was like, I honestly thought I had to do this all myself and that it was just me against these people. So, And that's one of the things that we say to people who are going through anything really at this point, no matter what it is, be bullying be it, I mean, maybe not homelessness per se, but just these emotional trials, which all culminate to the word ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. A lot of times you do think that it's just you. You do think you're alone. And YANA is the acronym for you are not alone. As a matter of fact, you're not alone if you just reach out. Most times with my podcast guests, we repeat the same thread just reach out just reach out just reach out it may not be as bad as it seems so thank you so much for going for going there because i know i know how hard it was to get you to come on this podcast so i definitely appreciate the fact that you've come and you've helped me even me as a mother and as a pediatrician but more so our listeners our parents just take a peek maybe even for a second inside the life of a child going through bullying and more so an LGBT child going through this. And the fact that you were born gay, you were loved, you were holy, you were wonderfully made, you were loved, but the world is a mean place and the world will treat you the way they think you should be treated because of their own shortcomings and their own problems and their own issues. And um, so thank you so much for going there. Was there anything else you wanted to share with us with regards to the whole journey, the transition, and this was a very important piece of your life. Obviously, you're doing good now, but what about, you know, after middle school, going into high school, anything else? I think high school was pretty good in terms of depression or suicide or anything like that. I think first year of college was the next time I felt uh, bouts of depression and also um I guess junior year, I don't think I felt too much sophomore year. Sophomore year, I remember it being, well, sophomore year, I had a very terrible living situation. So that also was sucky. <laughs> but remember. in general, um, 
In general, my first year of college and this past last year of college, there were there were weeks, there were about yeah weeks or so where I just I I was just going through it, and um, I mean I had good friends. Well, this past year I had great. It was mostly it. So this past year I had the privilege to perform. Um, what you call a concerto, which is a piece for a solo instrument and orchestral accompaniment with um, the orchestra at my university. And that quarter leading up to that performance, I had weeks of, um, I guess, imposter syndrome is the best term for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Imposter syndrome is where you feel that you are surrounded by people who deserve to be where you are and that you are an imposter in that situation and you're like worried and anxious about when other people find out about it. So the weeks leading up to that performance, not even just because of the performance, but also because of other things, because I took a very light schedule, so I didn't have too much to do in my free time, and it gave me too much time to be in my thoughts. I was I was also dating, and so there were those kinds of things that were going on, and it unfortunately led to me feeling very, 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 very disgusted with myself and I would say depressed um, and led to a very low productivity level. Um, I really didn't talk to too many of my friends, even though they tried to be supportive and different things. And I didn't, I don't really talk about it too much and I think I'm okay now, but I will say it's just, it was it's very easy when you're at college and I'm not even at a very large school but it's very easy when you're at school to just feel very alone and very unworthy of being where you are um, even whenever um, on paper you deserve to be where you are and um, other people tell you this too it's just it's sometimes very difficult to remind yourself of that so that's good and so today you are obviously at a better place and thankful for that was there um, usually towards the end of my interviews. I want to ask two things. Do you have a favorite quote, a favorite book, a favorite podcast or a favorite something that you do to help you? I know in your case, I know what it is, but to help you relax and just kind of center yourself back. And then do you have any words of advice? So those are the two things. And usually for my adult guests, I ask them, where can the listeners find you for those who have businesses and stuff like that but in your case they can find you in school so that's out or at home but as far as words of advice or favorite book favorite activity that you do to help you center yourself what would you say uh favorite activity um i mean so is not flute practice well let's just go to favorite podcast well i do love to do that I guess it, I guess that is it. It's kind of, that's kind of cliche. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a love hate thing with practicing because when you're a musician, there's always this nagging feeling in the back of your mind. Like you could be practicing right now instead of doing this other thing or like someone else is practicing getting better than you. Like you need to be practicing, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have to take a break too. Like, especially when you do a bunch of competitions and performances, like, I've listened to, you know, podcasts of different um, performance therapists and like people who specialize in helping musicians and athletes perform their best. And 
a lot of what they say is like resting is is very important too and like when you feel like you won't have a productive practice session you just stop so i don't know if it's like that's my favorite thing to do but something i need to do to survive at this point maybe my favorite thing to do i really like this new podcast that i listen to called i think it's called the per service podcast or something like that and it's just like four violinist professional musicians who just talk about the different trials and tribulations of being a professional musician. And it's just so cool because some of them are like successful. Some of them like, like currently hold chairs and orchestras and some of them are freelance musicians, which are, and they're also successful, but they all talk about like things like rejection, um, which there's a lot of in the music industry. They talk about things like um, staying motivated. Um, they talk about things like working with colleagues in an orchestra and just be nice to be able to talk about non-glamorous parts of the music life because in general it's hard to get in contact with successful professionals in this field because they're always really really busy like most fields um, unless you're studying with them and so just having that that servant of what is it resource like this podcast just sit and listen to these people talk about their experiences it's actually been really really calming for me and helps me center myself and know that I'm not alone in like struggling. Even though I'm not necessarily a professional yet, it's just like preparing myself for what could be my future. It's like mm-hmm. very, very centering. So that's my favorite thing to do currently, other than practice, which I have a love-hate relationship with. And um, I as guess- As far as words of encouragement for other kids who might find themselves 11 years old or 12 years old and questioning and wondering and, being picked on, what would, you, what would you say to them? Or maybe what would you say to your 11-year-old self? I would say, well, something I'd say to my 11-year-old self is you do have friends. You just have to, like, open your eyes to them. Because one thing that I really, really, really regret about how I handled my situation in middle school, of course, I don't blame myself because I was being... Um, terrorized so my mind was not clear obviously but I did have friends in sixth grade too there were people that I pushed away because I was hurting and I can't blame myself for that but there were people that were there constantly that I think for some reason I didn't internalize as friends and if I had leaned into them what I leaned into my friends in high school and in college like I mean you know I don't know what would have happened I think what happened ended up being really good like I survived but I might have even like thrived if I had just like opened my eyes and like seen that there were people that that were like there for me or like were possibly going through the same thing um that just makes it a little easier and 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 kind of shifts the whole dynamic of me versus the world to like me with friends versus like a couple really mean people who like are actually quite powerless to like larger groups of people as in groups of friends so just lean into the friends that likely do exist. I can't speak for every situation, but in my situation, there were people there that I pushed away because I was hurting. And if I had just leaned into them, it would have been a lot easier to go through what I went through. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, was there any, any final words or this is it? Because um, this has been so nice and so just eye-opening and, and really heartwarming and, and sudden Sometimes it was a little heavy, but like it should be, which is the, the podcast is not about fine, airy things, but certainly it's, 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 I, I like the fact that you've been able to tell us 
just for me as a parent and hopefully the parents listening, indeed what goes in the mind of a 12-year-old, an 11-year-old who's been ostracized, one of the things that I talk about a lot, who's been bullied and how they're feeling. So thank you so much, Papa, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Would you um, be kind enough to come back and give us a part two of this? I don't know I have that much to say, but I mean, if, if you want me to, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so ladies and gentlemen, that's my son, Papa, my first man-child. Thank you so much. Namdi, a.k.a. Papa Oditahana, my firstborn, who is a rising senior at Stanford, music performance major, and just a good overall, good kid, good big brother, who has had a hard life, as you heard, but he's been able to, in his own way, navigate, navigate and ended up standing. And he touched on just growing up in America, growing up a gay, black, Nigerian born, um, not Nigerian born, but Nigerian um, ancestry kid whose parents got divorced when he was in fourth grade and how hard it was to just become a 21 year old who is doing well, who is thriving, if I might add. So thank you all so much. I'm trying my best to fight back the tears because as you know, I'm very emotional and I do cry easily. So I'm going to do a hard stop right now. This is Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Momatrician. This is Suicide Pages, the podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. And parents, remember, parenting is very hard. It is the hardest thing that I've ever done. It is the hardest thing that you are ever going to do, but it's also the best thing you can ever do. So go out there and make me proud, and I'll see you all next week. Thanks. Peace out. Bye.